Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to the show as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series airs every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. The series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected to hit 3.8 million people by 2050. How do we accommodate these new residents and how do we work, live and play in a region with a million more people? Now, recently we looked at the shortage of industrial land in Vancouver. We also looked at how we should govern the region with a million more people. And what does food security look like in the context of a region adding more people, yet wants to protect its agricultural land as well. Well, today we're going to look at Metro Vancouver and through the lens of climate change. Almost three quarters of the energy used in the city to heat and cool homes, power vehicles, run buildings and operate industry comes from fossil fuels, primarily gasoline, diesel and natural gas. And it's these fossil fuels that are responsible for most of Metro Vancouver's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the regional government's goal is to have Metro Vancouver run, run 100% on clean energy by 2050. Now, to achieve the target of emission-free energy and eliminate 90% of the region's overall emissions, the region's need uh, the region sorry needs to shift away from fossil fuels to clean electricity, low carbon hydrogen, and biofuels. Metro Vancouver, like many global cities, has no other choice. By 2100, cities around the world could warm by nearly 4 degrees Celsius on average, exposing the growing urban population to conditions that will damage human health, productivity, and quality of life. Cities are on the front lines when it comes to dealing daily with the impacts of climate change. We're joining us now to talk a little bit about climate change with a city of another million people is Andrew Weary. He's a professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Science at the University of Victoria, and he's former leader of the BC Green Party. Andrew, as always, welcome to the show. Well, thank you again for having me back. It's a big issue, a big topic, and I did want to talk to you about this. We've we've looked at you know other issues around economy and everything else, but the bigger challenge around all of us is climate change. Um, if you could play king for a day, uh, or maybe a year or two, whatever you wish, but looking at two <laughs> or three things that we need to be doing well in a city like Metro Vancouver, or maybe even smaller communities, moving forward to make us much more climate resilient and just basically do the right things in regards to getting us and moving into us in that direction, what would you want to do? Well, thank you for asking. There's, there's a couple of things, first off, from the climate change, uh, through, through looking through the climate change lens. Um, there's the issue of climate adaptation, means that we're going to have to adapt to the change that's in store. And then there's the issue of climate mitigation, means do our part in actually reducing emissions. So let's go to the uh, climate mitigation part. Vancouver has an exceptional opportunity for leadership. And, and I could see, given the success of governments uh, in, in the region and uh, the direction the province is heading in Canada at this stage, uh, I, I could see a widespread electrification of virtually transportation throughout the Vancouver corridor sector. Now, there's really nowhere to drive around Vancouver because you've got mountains on one side, you've got the U.S. border on another side, you've got mountains on the third side, and you got water on the fourth side. So it's a it's a it's an area just set up for electrification of mass transit, as well as uh, individual transportation, whether that be electric bikes, electric vehicles, or walking. So I, I suspect we'll, it'll be a rare thing to see a, a, um, a, a gas-guzzling vehicle on, on, on the streets in the next couple of decades. 
But the real, and, and because 40% of emissions in BC come from transportation, that's actually a, makes a, a big difference by electrifying, electrifying transportation. From the adaptation point of view, I just wonder whether we have learned anything from what has happened. You know, has the province learned about the Sumas flood? I mean, the conditions that led to the Sumas flood are going to occur more frequently and in greater magnitude uh, as we move forward. Uh, is have the appropriate mitigation or uh, or measures been taken along the Fraser Valley to ensure we don't actually have events like that? Uh, questions about water security. Vancouver has a lot of water. Um, and it uses a lot of water. But Vancouver's a weird jurisdiction is that it's kind of just there and, and nobody pays for it. Whereas, uh, you know, you don't really have ubiquitous water metering. And, and that's not actually good for conservation. So I suspect we'll see um, in reasonable time more concern about introduced water me metering occurring to ensure that there's actually a cost to using water. Uh, in terms of... Um, Coastal regions, well, uh, Delta's been dealing with sea level rise for years. Uh, a concomitant concern, of course, is, is you know, the Fraser River. So I suspect we'll see dikes being raised a little bit in the Delta region. And at the same time, I suspect uh, we'll see uh, other measures being taken, other coastal communities as storms, uh, surges create sea level, uh, compound effects in sea level rise. But, but more importantly, I think that we'll see a cultural change within our cities recognizing that cities were built in the 1960s and 50s largely where we build big urban areas and connected them with transportation corridors people worked downtown and lived in the suburbs and that's changing and that's changing across the world to cities that really are more embedded towns within larger metro structures and and vancouver's already leading the way in that regard but i, I think we'll see more of that as we move into langley surrey et cetera, et cetera. do you think we need to um discourage or prohibit new development in places that may have challenges and being resilient to climate change? You've talked about diking in, in Delta uh, and Abbotsford, obviously, in the Sumas area is a huge issue. Do you think we need to start dis discouraging or even preventing or prohibiting new development in some places? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we know what regions are more or less adapt uh, uh, exposed to potential weather-related disasters. Uh, and the people who know that best are the insurance industry. There are, it is becoming more, more and more expensive to insure one's property. And in some places, some areas, more and more difficult to get insurance. Uh, I, I suspect we should engage the insurance industry to let them uh, assist decision makers in choosing where not to or where to build. Look, one of the greatest example of absurdity in this regard is in the U.S., you cannot get insurance along the Gulf Coast if you uh, pr private insurance if you build your you know thing right on the water there and uh -huh. a hurricane comes and wipes you out the government steps in to cover the cost that's not actually what we should be doing you should get insurance and if there you're not if no one's willing to insure that maybe say that there's a reason why they're not insuring because that's not a good place to build so yes I do believe that's one question I want to ask you is I've had um, a variety of mayors on, on the local level and, and at the Metro Vancouver level, um, and they are heading in the direction of banning natural gas in new builds. And mm -hmm. I can open up the lines and I can have 100% of people tell me I'm stupid and I'm absolutely absurd. Uh, you will not ever take away my natural gas uh, facility. And I, I'm not. we're not taking anything away. We're just saying new builds will not have natural gas. Is that the right direction to go in your mind? It is. And I, I recognize um, that there are some people who would be very concerned about it. Um, but 
we're talking new builds initially. And so let we're doing a lot of retrofits as, as it is. There's no need to heat with natural gas or any fossil fuel in British Columbia. If you have new builds, one can build more efficient heating systems. One can build to passive design, which actually reduces energy consumption and loss. And we have very effective heat pumps now that can give you cooling in the summer and warming in the winter at a very reasonable price. We're not talking about installing baseboard electric heaters everywhere. You know, you might in, imagine in a big multi-story building that they might actually tap into some geothermal below the ground, um, uh, geothermal coils there. You might uh, build in distributed heat, heat pump systems. And, and frankly, uh, as we're moving forward, more and more people are actually already switching from natural gas fired or, or oil fired to heat pump systems because it's, you get the the value added of of what we're going to need more and more of is the summer cooling. You know, people would have thought we were nuts to put an air conditioner in a house twenty years ago, but you know, I have two portable air conditioners in my my place now because it gets too hot in the summer, and so heat pumps solve that problem too. Welcome back to the show. Just want to remind you that uh, Delta City Councilor Dylan Kruger will be joining us at four thirty. He has come out. He's a former BC Liberal staffer, by the way, and he's been supportive of the NDP's housing legislation. At five o'clock, Langley Township Mayor Eric uh, Woodward joins me. He has he is not supportive of the NDP's uh, housing announcement. Uh, his community, he says, has been building the missing middle, uh, and they don't want to be bigfooted. It, this kind of legislation should be focused on communities that aren't building housing, uh, and uh, certainly his community has. Been and he's going to join me um, at 5 o'clock. He listened to our interview yesterday with UBC academic Tom Davidoff, and uh, he's got a few opinions on Mr. Davidoff's thoughts because Mr. Davidoff did um, provide uh, advice, obviously, in regards to this uh, Bill 44. So lots to go around on this uh, to talk about on this uh, housing issue. We'll be taking calls at 4.30 and 5 o'clock on that issue. That issue is not going to be going away anytime soon, and neither is climate change and how our cities deal with it. Our guest is Andrew Weaver, professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. Since we are talking about housing, um, Andrew, when you look at 2050, uh, do you see sort of the traditional single-family home basically or that neighborhood basically gone uh, moving forward? Well, it's actually a great question, and I'm glad you raised it, and I'm glad you uh, also raised the issue of housing because, unfortunately, I think we're chasing something that's going to be very, very difficult to ever catch up. What we have to realize is that um, British Columbia is one of the nicest places in the world to live. It's also, from a climate change perspective, if the coastal BC is one of the best places to live because, of course, you have the downstream, downwind, you have the ocean, which mitigates change and the extreme conditions that other jurisdictions would say. So if we look also at the demographics of Canada, we have an aging boomer population and who typically like to retire to our area. And if we look at what's going on and will go on with climate change in the future, I would suggest to you that planning for a million people in the Vancouver area by 2050 is probably underestimating the number of people who would actually like to move to our region. The notion of climate refugees is going to be very, very serious. And land is very short in both Vancouver Island, uh, the lower mainland, and, and the Okanagan area, lesser so. We're going to have pressures uh, as people are having to move. Like, what, what are we going to do when Southern Europe decertifies? That's the path we're on this century for the decertification of Southern Europe. Now, there's a lot of people who would have to move somewhere. And, like, we live in a nice place. So it's it's a very difficult uh, issue. I do think that the single-family home, which was a product of the 
1950s stay-at-home mom with the dad who had the nice lunch kit that goes to work every day. I think that kind of dream is is really one of the past. And uh, really, we're going to start seeing more European-type um, um, uh, uh, cities. And in fact, home ownership is 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 not that common in many big European cities as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but rent, rents are a little cheaper. So uh, it's going to get expensive in this area because we don't have much land. And a lot of people are going to want to live there. And the question is, how do we manage that? It's a very challenging job for government, and uh, I'm kind of glad I'm I'm not in the legislature anymore because uh, I don't want to work on that problem. Well, I'll let even, other people well, do that. Just listening to the debate um, yesterday, and then some of the comments made today, and on on even on uh, social media, you had three former BC Liberal staffers fighting with a present M uh, MLA, Shirley Bond, former cabinet minister, and you can see, and I think Premier Eby was quoting one of the BC Liberal former BC Liberal oh. staffers, and it, it, you yeah. could see a generational divide there, even within um, the Free Enterprise Party. There, one hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's part of the challenge. Um, we have a, a, a balkanized governance structure in Metro Vancouver, 21 municipalities, mm -hmm. 21 mayors, 21 police chiefs, fire chiefs. How optimistic are you that this city, this region, can address these issues in a meaningful way that actually can deliver results so that we can still preserve this area as a livable area, uh, one that is still going to be a great place to live, but yet still has significant, significant challenges before it? Well, I, first off, um, I like I come from Victoria, and uh, we I think we define balkanization of a small community. <laughs> we have thirteen local governments, and goodness knows how many local councillors and mayors in it in a population the size of three hundred fifty thousand, smaller than Vancouver. Yeah. So so, and the problem, of course, with balkanization is is that he, everyone's in, in in essence has a vested interest to look after their community, and so. But I, I look I look at. Vancouver has actually shown great leadership on this uh, over many, many years. North Vancouver has shown great leadership. West Vancouver has shown great leadership. Surrey has shown leadership. Uh, so Delta has shown great leadership. Uh, and the Fraser Valley are, 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 are showing great leadership. So I'm less concerned about the balkanization because, um, I, I mean, you have big communities there. They're, they're not like the community of Oak Bay, which is 20,000, 25,000, and then community of View Royal, which is 8,000 or something people. Mm -hmm. So you have very large communities. And 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 you have a population that's very supportive of 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 common sense climate policy, which which more often than not, it's not actually climate climate uh, uh, climate policy. It's basically good governance, making you know transportation more efficient, uh, green space more readily accessible, and things like that. So I I feel quite confident that if anyone's going to do it, Vancouver and its surrounding communities will do it, and and they have shown leadership for such a long time. Andrew, as always, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's absolute pleasure. Thank you. And um, I'm going to go check the uh, the Twitter feeds now to see to see what was going on in that. I, it'll be it'll be it'll be something to, to imagine and wonder about. When so. when the premier is quitting, uh, quoting uh, BC Liberal staffers, or uh, you know, there's uh, some uh, political gain there. So it's, it was quite fun. There you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks All right, very uh, much.